I'm Cinder Niemela. Welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. Hi, this is Cinder. Today I'm taking a different approach. Instead of interviewing a guest, I am being interviewed by Lion Goodman. When I started this podcast in March of this year, my intention was to create a global campfire and interview leaders from 100 countries who are making a positive social impact. All was going so well, and I produced an episode a week. Then in early July, my husband was diagnosed with stage four gastric cancer. He passed away two and a half months later. That was mid-September. I wanted to take a few minutes and share my story. I had only just met Lion when I interviewed him in March. Um, that is episode number two. I felt comfortable with Lion, so I asked him to help me share this very challenging time with you. I put Lion's bio in the show notes, along with a link to episode number two. Now, I'm handing this interview over to Lion Goodman. So Cinder, you have interviewed many other people. I don't know when you were last interviewed, but I'm very happy and proud to be your interviewer today. So welcome to your program. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. We've known each other for not a long time, but we've gotten to really like each other in a short time. Yes. And um, you've just been through a really major transition in your life, and it has to do with your husband. So why don't you tell us what happened, what it is that was such a challenge for you? Oof, it seems so fast. You know, 2018 started out so great. But there were signs that my husband was sick, even in January. We went to Vegas and he didn't, he didn't like gambling like he usually did. He didn't, I don't think he gambled at all. And he stopped playing golf in January. Then in April, um, he just started getting sick. There's little things like upset stomach, not eating very much, not having a lot of energy. That was April around my birthday in May, we went to relatives for Mother's Day, and he seemed okay, just very quiet. June, by Father's Day, he had been sick for two weeks, just really not feeling well. And we thought, oh, upset stomach or a number of different minor things. And then on our 22nd wedding anniversary, uh, I said, you know, you really need to go to the doctor. This is not getting any better. And that July 4th weekend, he went to the emergency room and was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And up until then, there had been signs, but really neither one of us thought it was anything serious. So they diagnosed him in the emergency room, and two and a half months later, he was dead. He was gone. It was uh, really a very difficult summer. Um, taking him through that process of dying until September 15th. And was the prognosis one in which you knew he was going to die or was there hope 
that it could be beaten? Uh, no, the prognosis was three to six months. And they said it, it had spread too far. So there was nothing they could do. And it was stomach cancer. Stomach cancer, if they catch it early, which is difficult, then they can cut out the stomach and they described that process. And Mark said, even before the tests were done and we knew for sure that it had spread, he said he didn't want to have his stomach removed and go through all that. Yeah, the prognosis was three months and he lasted two and a half. With stomach cancer, you can't take anything by mouth. You can't even, it got to a point where he couldn't sip water, he couldn't take a pill, he couldn't do anything. He starved to death. Mm, I, my, my heart is heavy just hearing uh, of the suffering that that, that involves. Yeah. Um, and so we not only have how a story about how you handled this challenge, but also how Mark handled it. Because it, after 22 years, you guys are a unit, right? So, mm -hmm. so how... Give me both stories. How did you handle the prognosis? Let's just start there. And how did he handle it? Mm. Um, well, in the it, it's funny because a few days after we left the emergency room, we both said, wow, it was like a dream, like the doctor was talking to someone else. He wasn't really talking to Mark and telling him he had cancer. It took a few days for it to really settle in. And while we were waiting for a doctor to come, while we're sitting in the emergency room waiting, we're talking about trips that we had been planning to make that we hadn't. And, you know, we were saying, as soon as you get better, we've got to take these trips. As soon as you get better, we've got to do this and that and things that we had put off. And then when he came in and said that it was uh, terminal cancer, we both knew that there were not going to be any trips we weren't going to be able to do those things. Mm -hmm. So um, the way Mark handled it was quite stoic. His stepfather died of stomach cancer, ironically. And he saw how much he had gone through, going through the chemotherapy and having his stomach taken out. And it was, he was in a lot of pain. He really suffered a lot. And he told Mark at one point, if he were to do it over again, he wouldn't do it. He would just you know, let the cancer take its course. So that's what Mark decided to do, was just to let it take its course. And I just accepted whatever he wanted. I didn't try to talk him out of it. He knew his body better. It's his life choice. So I just supported whatever he wanted to do. And so he took a stoic approach um, and sort of accepted it and um, did the best he could. What approach did you take? I took the approach, I think it's a good question. I, the approach I took was to make him as comfortable as possible, to be strong for him and for the family, because there were some family members that really fell apart, especially his brother. So I just did what I had to do to make him comfortable. And we were busy. I mean, really busy. We were going to doctors. We were getting more tests. We were dealing with family. So every day was 
really busy between taking care of him and then going to see all these other people. And during that time, did you talk about death with him? Yes, we did talk about it. Not so much at first, not the first couple of weeks. But after that, when it was clear that it was terminal and he didn't have very much longer, then we did talk about it. And we talked about life, too, because it's, it's so weird. You know, when you have a sentence like that, suddenly you don't have a future. And, you know, when you think about, or when I think about uh, us, we were always talking about, well, what's the next party? What's the next <laughs> a trip? What are the kids doing? I mean, there's always something we're looking forward to. And suddenly when you're given this death sentence, there is nothing to look forward to. And with stomach cancer, there's not even anything that you can eat. So there was no food in the house. I didn't want to eat in front of him. Wow. And when people came over, I had them come over at like 11 in the morning or two in the afternoon when I didn't have to serve anything. So there, literally for two months, there was no food in the house. I started losing weight too. You don't even get to look forward to your next meal, really. No. So and when you starve, you know, after a few weeks, after a couple weeks, really, the person who's going through this starts to hallucinate, I guess. You know, if anybody's ever gone on a fast, and I honestly haven't. Uh, but if you have gone on a fast for a week or two weeks, I saw that his mind was, he was not as coherent. Um, and that just got, he became more and more delusional as time went on. So it was just a matter of taking care of him and not really having a relationship so much anymore. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I just keep thinking of the immensity of that shift. It's like from having a relationship to not having a relationship, from having a future to not having a future. To mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, it's, it's quite deep and powerful. Thinking about those shifts, obviously they changed you. How did you notice yourself changing to this new situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, I think my ego just fell away. It wasn't important to be right or to have my way. You know, just little things like what's for dinner or, you know, are we going to go out or not go out? And just the little things that sometimes get between people. None of that was important anymore. So I felt just a, a melting of any artificial walls that were between us, I guess is the best way to put it. And did that allow love to come to shift or change in some way, the, the love you felt for him? Or the love you felt from him? Yeah, I've always, I've always loved him. He was just my best friend. But yeah, there was a difference and it. it's really hard to put my finger on exactly what it was. I kept thinking of all the little things 
I don't want it to sound like we fought all the time because we didn't, but there were little things that you make up in your mind <laughs> about what somebody wants to do or how they're acting or, or what you want to do and how you're going to act and what's important. And none of that seemed to matter anymore. There were some regrets like, darn, I wish we'd taken that trip last year like we wanted to, but I was too busy, so I didn't. I said, no, let's wait another year, or those kinds of things kept coming back to me. Towards the end, I said, well, what is the purpose of life? Here we're on this earth for 60 years or more, if we're lucky, and we go to work every day, we have families, we have things that we think are important. And now suddenly it's over. Was it worth it? He's, he thought about it for a minute and he goes, the purpose of life is to, is to leave it better than you found it. And did he feel satisfied that he had left the world better than he found it? I think so. There were a lot of things that troubled him. A lot of politics troubled him. So I think that was frustrating for him. But I think he personally, did he leave the place a better place? He really tried. Yeah, so I think he was satisfied that he had. And so when death comes, as it does to all of us, what was going on inside of you at that moment when it happened? It was a Saturday night and I usually went outside and had a little snack or something and then I'd come back in and I did and I went out and I came back in and I thought, oh, I think I'll just wash up, get ready for bed. And he was kind of out of it. And so I decided, well, I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight near him. And then suddenly I had this feeling that he was calling me. I put down the book and went over and held his hand and said, it's okay, you can go okay. And I um, texted his son and his son texted me right back and I read the text to him and he died a couple minutes later. He just let out a breath. But if that feeling of, of um, I, I'm ready now, I think that's what he was telling me. And then I watched his breath and it was very shallow and suddenly it just stopped. And, you know, it was very quiet. And that was it. It's a precious moment. It's kind of an honor to be there with someone's last breath. Yeah. And tell me about the, the next 10 minutes. I'm sure it felt like an eternity. Yeah. Well, his brother and sister-in-law had left earlier, just a couple hours earlier. I called them. First thing I did was call them and say that he had gone. And they came right over. I called uh, hospice and they took about 45 minutes for the guys to come and pick him up. I was there with him alone for quite a while. And he had already gone. He he wasn't around the room anymore. I know I've heard some people say that 
they they feel them hanging around the room but he was gone he wasn't there anymore his body was still there but yeah i think i was pretty numb at that point yeah but calm i mean i wasn't hysterical or anything it was calm uh i think the whole thing happened so fast you know two and a half months that it just hadn't caught up with me what did mark believe about after death i don't think he believed in anything really after death i don't think he believed in reincarnation he never said he did see i i believe that people come back <laughs> we've got these lessons to learn and we're going to come back until we learn them but i don't think mark believed in that and did you have a chance to say everything you wanted to him? Was there anything left over that you hadn't said? We said everything, really. He was quite frantic the, those uh, last two weeks. <clears throat> he was uh, giving me the rest of his family's story. He wanted to give certain things away. So he was, uh, he was too weak to get out of bed, but he would tell me you know, where to find things and who to give them to. So I was making all kinds of lists. So he was, yeah, definitely towards the end, he was making lists of things that he wanted to do to close up. And I did that. I mean, things like golf balls to certain people and <laughs> his golf clubs, which he loved golf and, um, you know, things like that. But yeah, there were many days, especially the first couple of weeks when we just sat in the room, quiet. Um, talking and really not doing anything else. Sometimes talking, sometimes just quiet. It's great to have that kind of time to complete with someone and feel complete. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I think it would be very difficult to uh, lose somebody suddenly in a car accident or something and not have that time. Mm -hmm. And so here's a big question. How have you changed? Huh. Um, during this process, I wasn't doing the podcast, which I had come to really enjoy. Um, I was taking classes in photography and I stopped going to those. I let people know that I wasn't going to be coming anymore. So I kind of shed myself of all the shoulds. I put my life on hold. And it wasn't until about yeah, about three weeks after Mark passed away that I started thinking about what do I want for my life? Because during those, these two and a half months, not only did I not think about a future with Mark, but I didn't think about a future at all. I was just living moment to moment. And, and I had a lot of things that, as everybody does, a lot of people in my life and activities and commitments that I looked at and said, do I really want to continue with these? I have a choice. <laughs> and I never really stopped to think that I have a choice in everything I do. Went through my everything that I did during the day and all the people that I knew. And I said, what do I want for my life now? I made a, a commitment that I wouldn't make any big decisions for, for a year. So I'm going to stay in the house for a year. That was why. Uh, willing. But then after that, you know, the, the little things I was doing, I'm much more at choice about the things that I do. So just, I think uh, what's changed is that I don't take anything for granted. I 
I look at every choice, every action, every every person I come into contact with, and I think, am I being the best person I can be? It sounds like an amazing uh, uh, microscope to be looking through. Uh, that it changes, it changed your filter about what's important, about what you want, about your choicefulness. Uh, it sounds very like a major shift in perspective. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. And in some ways it's freeing and in other ways it's, it's, a, it's also a big commitment to live, to live my life honestly is a huge commitment. And the other thing is that once you shed your ego and you know what that's like, <laughs> that you don't want to put it back on. It's a coat. It's just too heavy and it, it dulls life because it keeps you separate from the people and the experiences that you have. And so I do not want to come from that place of ego. I'll look at it and say, okay, what's this about going on here? And when there's no ego, what are you looking with? I'm looking with my heart, really, to being vulnerable. Uh, being honest, um, honestly me. The way you're describing it gives me a sense of deep integrity, that you're really in alignment with your true self, with who you are, who you want to be, how you show up, what's important. Does that sound right? Well, I'm, that's definitely my intention. And I'm not sure because I was married for so long I mean, to Mark. Both of my husbands were Mark, Mark one and Mark two. So I first got married when I was 23 and I, you know, went from living at home to college to getting married my last year in college. And so I've never really lived on my own. So I'm not really sure. And I've heard other people say this, I'm not really sure who I am. Um, you know, what I really like, and who I really am. I put expectations on myself about who I was as a married woman and who I was as a sister or a brother. And so I'm just shedding all of those and saying, okay, who am I really? What an amazing opportunity to look inside and see what's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who or what helped you through this time of Mark's illness and passing? You did. <laughs> Thank you. And um, um, my sister-in-law, one of my sister-in-laws, a couple of them, helped a lot. Mark um, and my sister, none of my clients knew what I was going through. I didn't let any of them know. Uh, one of the, a couple of them knew that he wasn't feeling well, and that was before he was diagnosed because I had to cancel a couple of meetings when he was sick. But none of them knew he had been diagnosed and had died. <clears throat> and I, it was fortunate in a way. It just was a blessing that it was the summertime and a lot of my clients were traveling. So I didn't really have to tell them. The other person who really helped me a lot were my kids. Oh my gosh, they were amazing. They came out when I first told them he had been diagnosed and then they came out two months later um, after he had passed away. 
So they were amazing. And they both live, live in New York. So it was quite a trip for them to come out. But yeah, it was the family that really came through. And some of my dear friends, you learn a lot when somebody's diagnosed with cancer about how people can handle a death or imminent death. We had some friends who just said, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, need, we'll come by. Well, by the time they came by, he was gone already. Because there's, there's a lot of people that face that issue where someone's mm -hmm. dying and they don't know what to say. Um, what would you have wanted to hear? Yeah, just that. I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say, but I, can I come be with you? Um, and we had uh, some really close friends that would say that. They said, boy, I hate being around people who are dying, but can we just come over and sit with you? And we talked about Mark's attitude toward death, but and you mentioned reincarnation. How And you also talked about facing it and saying, what, what's the purpose of life and why bother almost, right? <laughs> why bother living if you're going to die? Uh, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> what is your perspective now that you've, you've had a chance to grieve and recover and get, get back to your life? Yes. And that's why I've started the podcast again, because, because I've traveled a lot and seen a lot of places. I've always believed that people are all the same. It, it doesn't matter what color we are, or what country we live in. We all want these core fundamental things. We want, you know, the best for our children. We want to be happy. We want to have families. We want some autonomy. So, and we want to be creative. It's just what it means to be human. So for me, it's, it's about the environment uh, and helping to bring awareness of the harm that we're doing to our environment and help to turn that around and also with people. That's what I'm focused on. And whether it's the podcast or the work that I do with my clients or in one-on-one -on -one relationships, that's really the way I want to spend the rest of my life. You brought a lot of wisdom and lessons already to this conversation. When you think about your listeners, people who tune into this podcast, who are listening to you right now, what do you want them to know? What wisdom do you have to bring to them? Hmm. Well, part of it was just to let them know that what I was going through, to share some of my story. I'm hoping in this that that life does not have to be one big struggle. Life can be um, fun and it can be easy and it can be engaging and inspiring and exciting. Look at where you get your energy and look at where you're spending your energy and it's taking a toll on you because that can give you some insights into what your strengths and talents are and where you should be spending your time or where you could be spending your time. And knowing that we all die <laughs> at some point, uh, it's, it's hard to wake up to that fact. We don't like to think about it or recognize it or deal with it. If you had some advice to your listeners about knowing that you're going to die, what would follow that phrase? <laughs> well, I'm looking at things and I'm saying, do I really need this? If I just had 
one or two suitcases. If I was to move tomorrow to Portugal, what would I take? And it's not very much. So that's one thing is just really only keeping things that bring you joy and not holding on to things. <clears throat> the finances and and just uh, cleaning out the house for my kids, and taking care of, you know, trusts and things like that. That's that's kind of what I've learned. Also, the other thing, and my this is where my daughter and my son are both. Uh, they're both millennials, and they're both really into food, and um, you know, the natural way to eat. So I only buy organic food now. So I'm eating much healthier and exercising and things too. Because um, I don't know, it's that experience of, of it being over that um, has me think, oh, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I think I'd better take better care of myself. So what I heard you say, just to summarize, if you were going to give advice to others, is to make sure your finances are together. Yep. Make sure your passwords are known to, your, to the people close to you so that they can handle your estate. Uh, and don't accumulate too much stuff. <laughs> Lighten up, right? Uh, and take yeah. care of yourself. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't. We, we want to be as healthy as we can be when we die, rather than as sick as we, as many people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, it's such a strange thing because we we came into this marriage with things. You know, Mark had his things that he held on to for a long time. And every now and then I'll come across something and I'll go, oh, he left this. <laughs> you don't take anything with you. <laughs> yeah, you travel very light after <laughs> You do. And it's, it's hard to even conceptualize that until it really happens. I, I once realized that there's, there's so much stuff in the world because people are born, they have hungers, they try to fill them with stuff, and then they die and they leave their stuff behind. But then there's other people accumulating more stuff, and they, yeah. more stuff than people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh my God, that's so right. But and now I've loosened up a bit, but those first two or three weeks, that first month, I was so fragile. And to give yourself that space. Mm -hmm. The other thing I did is I <laughs> canceled cable, <laughs> canceled the newspaper, uh, canceled all the news so that I could really reboot and start over again. I found that it's um, when you go from living with someone and your whole life is around them and you do things together to living alone that you really have to push yourself. I have to push myself to get out of the house. A lot of my work is done on the phone, so I'm used to being at home, but I want to go out and meet people. So I have to push myself to get dressed and go out. And I hope that gets a little bit easier. Fortunately, a few people have spontaneously called me and they've been through it themselves. So they've called and said, hey, let's go hiking or let's get together and <clears throat> take our dogs to the dog park or something like that. That's been good. Well, Cinder, you're a very wise woman, and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us in such a deep and vulnerable way. It's, it's touching to me. It touches me very deeply to be able to be here with you and speak to you about these difficult things. It's a difficult passage that many, many people go through, and 
we need an instruction manual or something like, you know, here's, here are the things to do. And they probably exist, but we don't read them. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so I feel, I feel uh, very close to you right now because you've been so open and so real. Thank you. Thank you. It was important for me to, to reach out and I, you're the perfect person. So I really do appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're I'm Cinder Niemela, and you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, Design a fulfilling and prosperous life that engages your talents and passions.